This season of Things Not Seen is sponsored in part by Loyola University's Institute for Pastoral Studies. Find out more at luc.edu slash ips. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we explore the most beautiful shared threads amongst religious traditions using music as our guide. We talk with award-winning singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer about her career and her new album, The Point of Arrival. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with recording artist Carrie Newcomer. She's an Emmy Award singer-songwriter, performer, and educator. She's also an author. Her songwriting has been praised by Billboard, USA Today, and Rolling Stone, which wrote that she asks, quote, all the right questions, unquote. Newcomer's song, I Should Have Known Better, appeared on Nickel Creek's Grammy Award-winning gold album, This Side. Her 19th album was just released. It's called The Point of Arrival. Newcomer has worked with a variety of theologians and authors, most recently with Parker Palmer, and we'll be talking a little bit about that during our conversation. She lives in the woods outside of Bloomington, Indiana, with her husband and two shaggy rescue dogs. Carrie Newcomer, welcome to Things Not Seen. Well, hi. Great to be here. So I I want to get into the album and the, the impetus of the album, but because Probably some of my listeners may not be familiar with your work. Let's take two steps back and let me ask you a little bit about you. So you grew up in the Indiana area, and you have been a singer-songwriter all of your life. Is that a fair characterization? Well, yes, I, I would say so. I, I grew up in northern Indiana, uh, close enough to Chicago that I say Chicago. <laughs> I've always, uh, I've always leaned into uh, songwriting and, and music ever since I was actually a young woman. I didn't go to school for music. I, I went to school for visual art uh, because I was chalking up all the safe and secure professions you can have out there. But I got through school writing music and playing in coffee houses and, you know, everywhere, really. And uh, after school, I... Music was calling, and I've been following it ever since. Well, so to to make a living as a musician, that's a tremendous leap of faith. And some of my listeners probably have creative urges or instincts that they might want to act upon, but maybe they're holding themselves back. And I'm wondering, first of all, as you were making that transition and, and thinking to yourself, hey, I could make a living doing this, what was it that frightened you the most as you got started? You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I really feel like we're born with affinities, things that we, we lean into, that we love from the, you know, we always loved, and no one told us to love it. And, and music was like that for me. It's what Parker Palmer calls the thing you cannot not do. And so I, I didn't, I wasn't able to go full time financially for, for a long time. I did 10 years of doing other kinds of jobs and 
waitressing and all the things you do as an artist. And But it was this thing that I just loved so much, and I couldn't really lay it down. And, you know, I'm glad I didn't. But, you know, early on, you know, you have to pay the rent. And at a certain point, I, you know, as a single mother and, you know, wanting to make sure that things were secure for my daughter. I mean, there was those kinds of concerns. And but I have to say that when I was true, you know, the way was true, that the right thing came at the right time. And that, that sounds a little cliche when you say it, you know, out loud, but, but it's true. It's always that it didn't look like I expected, but it was what I needed. And and I believe that. I, I, I really do believe that. But it also means, it also meant that I had to open the idea of what it would look like. You know, if I thought, if I started out and I thought the only way to have a satisfying life in music would be to be the next Beyonce, I mean, I would have bagged this a long time ago. But, you know, I had to widen what that frame meant and what it, and what it meant for me. You know, I write songs, but I write songs about something. And I needed to be able to follow what the songs are about as much as follow, you know, music. So, you know, I had to widen what that frame could look like and be more creative with what that frame could look like. And that made all the difference. Well, so you've said several things that I want to dig into a little bit. And I think the first thing is, it's pretty clear that you figured out what success looked like for Carrie Newcomer. And you said just a moment ago that if you had pitched it as being like Beyonce, you would have given this up a long time ago. But at what point did you figure out, oh, this is what success looks like for me? And how early in the process was that? And what what was in that bucket when you figured out what success would be for you? Well, you know, more than success even, you know, what does a satisfying life in music and in the arts look like for me? And and I think that's been an ongoing process because, you know, I think I've always been refining what that means for me and what that means at this point in my life. You know, I I continue to grow and so my vocation continues to grow and unfold in different ways. And And so there have been a lot of moments along the way where, ah, ah, you know, the aha moment where, like I said, I write songs about something. And so how do I follow what they're about? And how does that fit in? So so there's been so many aha moments along the way. Yeah, it, and, and it's continuing because, I, I guess, I continue to evolve. You know, I'm not the same person that I was at 19 or even 10 years ago or last year, I think, I think with a vocation in the arts, you know, you're always, you're always checking in with your heart, checking in with where you're at, you know, with, with your art form and how that interfaces with the world. If it's going to be a dynamic and creative profession and, and vocation, you have to be willing to follow it where it leads you. And that can be kind of a scary thing, you know, that, you know, where is it leading me? And I have to say that in the beginning, I could not have imagined anything as interesting and creative than what's actually happened to me. You know, it's, it's, I'm really grateful. And I, I have to say that, too. I'm grateful that, that I can make my life in the arts for a lot of reasons. You know, folks decide they can't or it's, it's 
not possible to do it full time for one reason or another, and that's not what satisfying. It may not be what sati- a satisfying life in the arts looks like for them to do it full time. So, but I'm really, you know, I'm always incredibly grateful that, you know, I got to do this thing I love, and that it keeps unfolding. You used in your answer just a moment ago the the word vocation a couple of times, and so I'd like to ask about that because vocation is an interesting word. It both means your job, but also it can be used as a kind of religious calling. And so folks that enter the priesthood, for example, think of themselves as having a vocation or people that enter a monastery have a vocation. And so I wonder how much you're thinking about your work as a musician as something that you do for a living and something that you live out as a calling. Yeah, and I I think for me, it really has always been a calling. Yeah, it's always been a calling that, as I said before earlier, the thing that I cannot not do. There have been a lot of times along the way that, you know, the prayer was, gosh, if there's anything else that I should be doing, <laughs> could you just show me? Because it's not always easy. You know, it's wonderful and it's interesting. And like I said, I'm so grateful, but it's not always easy. And there have been times when that's been the prayer. If, if there's anything else I'm supposed to be doing, it, it'd be really great if you just kind of like set up a flag. But, you know, but it is the thing that my heart has called me to, that I think my spirit is called to. And it has felt like a calling. Not, it's never been just a job. So, and then, you know, when talking with people who are in the arts or, you know, have arts as part of their lives, you know, there's, there's something about it that, that calls way down on a spiritual level. Whether it's framed in, in religious terms or not. And I have to say that it's something that's been interesting about how this has unfolded for me because there is a spiritual current in the work I do. But it's also not always necessarily religious, but but paying attention to what's absolutely extraordinary in an ordinary day, what's even sacred, you know, in our lives, that, you know, moment by moment, day by day, you know, there's, there's always been this attention to something more than can be seen, and what's also seen <laughs> when you're paying attention. So, you know, it's it's been interesting, and though, you know, it's also been following where my heart leads me with that. You know, there's certain kinds of spiritual music that you get to color with eight theological crayons, and there's a lot of beautiful work that's been created with eight theological crayons. But I'm I'm, I'm kind of like a forty-eight kind of gal, and <laughs> maybe 64, I don't know, theologically. So being willing to to write with that kind of spirit and exploration in the work as well, you know, it's been part of what this calling is about. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She's just released a new album, The Point of Arrival. We'll be back in a moment.
Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She's just released a new album called The Point of Arrival. It's her 19th studio album, and we're discussing that and her work as a songwriter and her work as a collaborator with authors such as Jim Wallace and Parker Palmer. You said something a moment ago. You said that when you were true, the way was true. And for listeners that may be feeling that calling in some way, but not quite sure how to begin to edge out into that. What did it feel like when you got that confirmation that the way was true? What was that like for you? Well, sometimes, you know, there was an, an outward representation, you know, the first album, you know, the certain kinds of accomplishments. But, you know, it wasn't really the accomplishment that set with my heart the deepest. You know, there were certain things, you know, being able to tell my dad I'm playing at Carnegie Hall, <laughs> you want a ticket, you know, and and there was something really beautiful about that to be able to to do that. But it, it's always been more something that's settled in my heart more than some kind of outward measuring stick kind of thing that that's actually felt, you know, the, that the way is true. Often it comes with the next right thing, the next right. Uh, or interesting thing unfolding, you know, when I started to work with Parker, that was not something I expected. And it came about in this really beautiful way, an interesting way, and and the way and that's unfolded in, in really beautiful and interesting ways. But it's not something I expected. And But it was a result of being really true to who I am and what the art is about. I had this friend, Bill Harley, he's a wonderful songwriter, and he told me the story about starting out as a singer-songwriter. And he had this mentor who said, well, you don't want to be the best singer-songwriter out there. And he said, I don't, you know. And, and he said, no, you want to be the only Bill Harley. And that's what you want. You want to be that true to who you are and, and what your art can be. And I heard that story, and it rang so, so you know, deeply for me, yes, that my job was to be the very best caring newcomer I could be, to be as true as to myself and to my calling as I could be, or I knew how to, because that's, you know, well, sometimes it's going down this road and saying, well, that's not it. (laughs) I think I need to back up and and reflect on that a while, but to be the, be the, the best caring newcomer to be as true to myself as I could be and to the spirit of the art as I could be. And that would take me where I needed to go. And to have this sense of faith that that would take me where I needed to go, where I really needed to go. 
Well, one of the things that looms large in your biography when people look you up is the fact that you have an association with the Religious Society of Friends, uh, popularly known as the Quakers. And I think maybe listeners might have some misconceptions about who the Quakers are and what the Quakers believe. My experience is a lot of times when I ask people about the Quakers, they end up thinking about the Amish. So what was it that drew you to the Quakers and, and what is it about their belief system that speaks to you? Well, I wasn't raised a Quaker. I found that later on in my adult life. And, you know, there was something very compelling to me. I'm uh, um, an unprogrammed Quaker, which means that it's a silent worship meeting where, you know, it's in silence. It's a meditation and community. Sometimes people will speak out of the silence. But, and folks will say sometimes, well, you make your life in sound and, you, you know, and you're drawn to a silent worship space, and it makes all the sense in the world to me that, you know, some of my best language comes out of the silence when I take time to be quiet and, you know, listen to the Spirit instead of talk at the Spirit. You know, we do a lot of talking at the Spirit, and to stop regularly and listen, you know, some of my best language comes out of those experiences. I was also very attracted to, I was drawn to the idea of uh, the testimonies of simplicity, of living in simple and sustainable ways, which I, you know, we're talking a lot about these things in terms of our climate and you know, care for the earth. But, you know, that testimony of living sustainable and simply, the testimony of peace, you know, trying to live in peaceful community as much as possible uh, and as well as you know how that can be a focus and something very important and and I have to say frankly a community that women have always been considered equal spiritual beings that as a woman that my voice is considered to hold the same weight and power and importance as anyone else. So that was a, a very drawing part of the community as well. So, you know, though I didn't, I wasn't raised Quaker, and I still, I, I work in a lot of different kinds of faith communities and interfaith communities, and, you know, and I really enjoy that. There's all kinds of ways of being in this world, and there's all kinds of ways of being with the Spirit, so it's like there's all kinds of ways of music. Thank goodness there's not only one kind of music out there. So I, I love, I really love that I, I get the chance to sojourn in a lot of places and do different kinds of work and collaboration. I, I did a, an album with an Indian musician, uh, Amjad Ali Khan. We, I, I did a couple tours in India and I met, who's the Yo-Yo Ma, basically, of India, plays a classical sarod. And we did a, project together for an interfaith hunger organization where the idea was where does the spirit need in music? You know, Amjad is Muslim, his wife is Hindu, I'm coming from this Quaker background, but that there was a spiritual thread that ran through through music that that transcended. And and that's what the, the album project was focused on. And it was just amazing and beautiful, beautiful way to explore that idea. What's you know, what's at our most, you know, what's our most beautiful shared 
value here? What's our most beautiful shared thread here? And I think, and I think that's a good question when we're thinking about, you know, being in a world that has a great variety of spiritual expression. You know, what, you know what, what is the most beautiful thread that, that connects us here? And, and let's start there. Let's start there. You know, let's not start dogma down. Let's, let's start at the most beautiful thread we share. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Quakerism attracted you because of its testimonies of equality and simplicity and peaceful living. And people who talk to you find it surprising because you make your living making sound, but the, the worship of Quakers is fundamentally silent. But that that has given you, if I'm hearing you correctly, an anchor point where you feel comfortable being a, a traveler in other people's religious pathways. And in making these journeys, you've made some amazing connections like the one that you just told us about. And I love your, your phrasing, the, uh, the Indian Yo-Yo Ma and, and the album that you did with them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, Yes, you know, that's really, you, you summed it up in a really wonderful way, yeah. Well, and, and so as you're making these journeys, are you ever hesitant when you're stepping into someone else's religious life or pathway? How do you prepare to do that? What, what do you do to remain respectful and not just be a tourist in someone else's religious life or religious practice? I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, just to pay attention to what the most beautiful thread is between us and to appreciating and to and to turn you know uh, another Parker phrase turn to wonder sometimes when people have to do with their religious tradition or political you know opinions or you know sometimes just something that's different than how I approach things or something I know to turn to wonder to not wow that's Whatever shocking, you know, whatever you know, the, the, that first is thought is, but but to turn immediately to wonder. I wonder, wow, you know, to say it that way, wow. I wonder. I want to know more. I want to appreciate. And uh, and and again, kind of walking in with an attitude of where we connect. And so when this connection is made, you mentioned earlier that when we're talking about vocation and we're talking about how you define success, you said you kind of knew it in your heart. Is that the same kind of way when you know that you've connected to that most beautiful shared thread, when you know that you've connected with that person? Is that something that is acknowledged simply heart to heart, or is there something explicit or that could be observed if someone was watching you working with this other artist? Yeah, I, I, I... It's different from community to community, from person to person. You know, we're we're complicated. You know, people. <laughs> this is one of my thoughts in life: is that love is kind of simple, but people are pretty complicated. So, so it's different from community to community, from person to person. But there is, you know, there is something about a common thread, and there's also something about being willing to be vulnerable and willing to be very human and to be humble. Uh, I have a new album that just came out called The Point of Arrival, and it's it's a very vulnerable album. There's a lot in this album that's very human. And, you know, what I find is if I take one step forward in a really human way, often that, that gives people permission to take their own step forward in a very human way. Aren't we all so 
interesting and beautiful. And my life as a traveling, you know, folk singer, acoustic songwriter, and my life as a traveling musician, one of the things that I, I love about it is I get to see communities close up, and I, I meet a lot of amazing people. You know, I, I also I jump secular spiritual boundaries, like, on a daily basis, you know, the places I play may be a spiritual community. It may not. I kind of jump those. I, I kind of don't actually see any boundary because I, I kind of operate in the same way no matter where I am. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Emmy Award-winning singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She's just had a new album come out called The Point of Arrival. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with Emmy Award-winning singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She's just had a new album come out called The Point of Arrival. So one of the things that is an interesting aspect of this album is that you did this album in some way in collaboration with Parker Palmer, but help me understand what that collaboration was like. I loved working with Parker. We, we have you know, several projects that we've worked on together. We have two spoken word and music productions that we do together, one called Healing the Heart of Democracy, a Gathering of Spirits for the Common Good, and a most recent one, What We Need is Here, Hope, Hard Times, and the Human Possibility. And a couple of the songs on this album, this new album, uh, were, were written for that most recent collaboration of spoken word and music. Also, we have a, a new project called the, the Growing Edge, which is a website and a podcast and online conversation based on this idea of that we're always we're always on a growing edge of some kind, and that there's aspects of the growing edge that keep unfolding for all of us. So, on this album, you know, are many songs that grew out of this ongoing conversation with Parker about this the ideas in what we need is here and the ideas on the growing edge personally, vocationally, politically, that it's just been this wonderful ongoing conversation and many of the songs grew out of that. One of the songs on this new album is called On the Brink of Everything and uh, it was written as a companion piece for his most recent book, uh, On the Brink of Everything, Grace, Gravity, and Getting Old. So, it's a free MP3 download that goes along with the book. So, yes, there's a, a lot of, which is a beautiful book, by the way, I should say. It's just a wonderful, beautiful book, and it was lovely to be able to add a companion piece, uh, add, add three companion pieces. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that's come out of this com- ongoing conversation and collaboration with Parker on this album. And that's really wonderful. It's really lovely. One of the things that really struck me about the songs on this album, The Point of Arrival, is how many of them voice some kind of moment of decision. It's very, very clear that whether these songs are autobiographical or whether you're inhabiting a character in these songs, whoever is speaking in the song at the moment is faced with a decision and they they kind of don't know if they can do it and then 
to use a Quaker phrase, the way opens. And I'm wondering about the theme that runs through the album. Is this something that you have been struggling with yourself, something that you've been thinking about yourself? What was it that brought to mind in the creation of this album these moments of decision? You know, this album is, you know, it's a very human album. It's a very vulnerable album. There's a lot on this album that has to do with being in process, being in process and being, you know, as kind to oneself as possible in process. It's about how endings become beginnings. You know, sometimes it takes a while. It takes a while to get to the place where you can start, where you can actually start. It takes an ending to be able to begin. There's a couple songs that are about the process of grief on this album and and what that is. And there's songs on this album that living in a time when we're being at, you know, we're being called to be better people than we ever thought we would need to be. And so there's a lot on this work about process, about, you know, the, the messy business of being human, but also you know, hope as an action, taking some action, taking the decision that you were just mentioning, that that hope is not just a feeling. Hope is not just candy-coated or hopeful thinking or positive feeling. That, that hope sometimes isn't a feeling at all. It's a daily action, you know. It's a, a moment when you decide to take some action in the world that you know, that furthers, furthers the idea of a, a little better, a little kind of world for yourself and for those around you and getting up in the morning and doing it. And then the next morning getting up and doing it again. And the next morning getting up and being very disappointed and then doing it again. The kind of hope that is faithful. And there's a lot of that idea, the kind of hope that is faithful on this album. One of the things that strikes me, and you, you just mentioned that grief is a part of this process as well as the hope, you, there's an image where the voice that is speaking, and again, I don't know if you consider your songs to be autobiographical, but the, 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 the voice on that... On this album. On this album, it is autobiographical. So you, you mentioned then that there's a moment where you're walking down the street and you glimpse someone that reminds you or makes you think suddenly you're seeing your mother, and the implication is that your mother has passed on and then you, you and I, I won't get the phrase correct, maybe you can tell me what the phrase is, but basically that grief comes in unexpected ways and, and it, it strikes you in unexpected ways. And, yeah, yeah, I thought it was my mother. It caught my breath, but when she turned, I could see it was another. You know, brief encounters, tricks of light, how I wish for things with all my life. Yeah, that, you know, in our, in our culture, we're given a very small time period to grieve, you know, okay, now you're to be grieved, you know, it's all right to grieve for a day or a week, maybe a month, you know, whether it's grieving a loss of a person or or a job or your, <laughs> your youth. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we grieve along the way. And this culture, we're not very, we're not allowed to do that. And it's such a disservice to human beings because it's such a process. You know, we, we'll all walk through it at one time or another. And to be with that, and, and that sometimes it comes upon you when you weren't expecting it. You know, seeing that person and realizing it's not who you think it is. You know, just, there's, a, there's many ways that it happens, that it, that it continues to happen and unfold. And, 
human beings, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't happen in a nice linear way. Growing, you know, the concept of the growing edge is not we think of a a, a nice, easy, or predictable arc to something, but no, <laughs> I, I don't think human beings work that way. That you know, we stop and we go and we go backward a little bit and we look around and we we hit a dead end and we feel called forward and then we get, then we know we have to take this great big leap because we can't go back anymore. You know, it's it's really a process, and uh, you know, the song you talk about there's a there's a moment in it where that unexpected that unexpected pang happens but as the song goes on and there's a sense of that it's all right and this is how it works there's a song on the album called impossible until it's not and you know it's i guess it's me just at some point just wanting to say out loud i think impossible is an overrated concept (laughs) that Impossible just takes a little longer. Impossible is only impossible until it is not. You know, and I've done a lot of things in my life that were deemed impossible. And I just said, watch me. Another song on your album, The Point of Arrival, that really struck me and and speaks, I think, to this transcendence of impossibility is the song The Shelter of the Sky. And you, in that song, you're speaking to a person, Charlie, and it, it seems to me as a listener that Charlie is somehow gone from you, but you're speaking to him in a dream. And he's giving you some wisdom about rootedness and some wisdom about how how to feel comfortable on this earth. And to me, I found that to be an incredibly uplifting and encouraging song of you, you're not alone in this journey, but I'm just a listener. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you were thinking of when you were writing this song? Well, um, with Sheldon Skype, this is a song that very much grew out of a conversation with Parker. He wrote me a, a letter, an email about a dream he had about his friend, Charlie. And we started this back-and-forth conversation about this friend of his, Charlie's, who had passed on recently. And this moment of kind of of standing, you know, out, standing... I started off the song with, you know, when I, where I grew up, there's more blue than green. That when you, when you grow up in an area like the Midwest, where there's a whole lot of sky, and if you live on Lake Michigan, there's a whole lot of water, you know, that... There's something really comforting about the dome of the sky always being around you that no matter where I go, you know, and I sojourn all kinds of places. He sojourns all kinds of places. There's always this dome of the sky, this dome of something wider and larger than myself to greet me there, that covers me there. And and that conversation became entwined with this conversation about Parker's friend Charlie and, you know, how Park, how Charlie's kind of standing on the horizon with the dome of the sky as well. One of the songs on your album, The Point of Arrival, that also struck me and caught me by surprise was the, the title song, The Point of Arrival. And you begin the song with an image of sitting cross-legged on the floor with your hands open. And again, it's as if a person is in a stuck place but by the end of the song, you're saying that those those empty hands are full of something, and you you shift from the refrain into Alleluia, Alleluia. And when I first listened to that, I, I it stopped me. I, I I literally 
began to cry in the midst of this because of how unexpected that Alleluia was, given what the, what I thought the song was about. And so, first of all, just as a fan, I want to say thank you for that. But also that 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 pivot to to hope, that pivot to the Alleluia, that's a powerful thing. And it seems to me that that's running through everything that you're saying to me today, that you always want to find a way to pivot from the stoppedness to the possibility of Alleluia. Is that a fair reading of what you're trying to, to communicate to your audience? Absolutely, and thank you for the kind words about the song. Um, yes, you know, the point of arrival, you know, the this, this song, it, it is about a pivot place. And, and it's about not blinking what's really hard. I mean, I think that's something, too, in spiritual community. We're always supposed to be joyful, you know? And if we're not always joyful, then there's something wrong with your spiritual walk or something. And, again, I think that's such a disservice to the true human spiritual journey. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking with Emmy Award-winning singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She's got a new album out called The Point of Arrival. We'll be back in a moment. Hey folks, this is David. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the work that I do. As you might be aware, in addition to this show, I help produce a number of other programs about culture and faith. One of those is the Freedom Road Podcast. It's hosted by Lisa Sharon Harper. She's a front-lines, on-the-ground activist and advocate for issues of justice and peace. Each month, she gathers a group of leaders together to talk about progressive issues from a faith perspective. I record and produce the show, and every month I come away from the conversations deeply moved and having learned a ton about our world and the struggles for justice. I'd love for you to listen. You can find the Freedom Road podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as well as at their website, freedomroad.us. That's freedomroad.us. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Emmy Award-winning singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She's just come out with a new album called The Point of Arrival. A little earlier in our conversation, you said that you wanted to give your listeners permission to be vulnerable. And as a person who makes their living traveling performing in front of crowds that may sometimes be affectionate crowds, but may sometimes be in different crowds, sleeping in a different city, oftentimes night to night. I'm wondering what you do to care for yourself. How do you make sure that Carrie Newcomer, in the midst of that, is able to remain vulnerable but not hurt by these processes of always a new stranger listening to your music and always a new bed to be sleeping in? Wow, what a great question. You know, this idea of grounding and, and, and care. I I think one of the things that I've uh, I've always done in terms of the touring I've done, uh, when I first started touring, I had a young daughter at home. So it wasn't like I was going to do the long back of a T-shirt, two months on the road tour. Uh, I've always done my touring out and back, out and back. It looked more like the spokes of a wheel than, a, you know, a big, long, logical back of the t-shirt uh, tour and that meant I didn't sleep as much <laughs> but I, I got to be a very present parent and I also grounded myself in my community and my home with things that I love and care about I live out in the middle of the woods and my connection to the natural world is really very important and, and, and deep for me there are times when I've been on the road you know a lot and I, I'll come home and I literally go back and into the woods behind my house and I lay down on the ground 
I just lay down and feel, you know, and literally ground myself in this place I call home in the, in the natural world that has become an old friend. You know, I know those woods. I walk those woods, uh, at, you know, daily when I'm home, and they're an old friend. And so I connect myself to that. Also, I think when I'm on the road, you know, that idea of continuing to ground myself. You know, I, I have a meditation practice and prayer practice that, you know, every hotel room I, I put up my altar <laughs> of the small items. I, I take in a bag everywhere that reminds me of who I am and what I love. And I, again, I don't, maybe I don't sleep as much, but I get up early enough, you know, to do that practice in the morning and do that practice at night. You know, it's it's also a, a mental space of every time I go out to perform to, to ground myself in what I love. So I think very specifically, you know, where's your feet, Carrie? I mean, honestly, like, where where are my feet connected to the ground? So when I walk out there, I walk out connected to the ground and connected to everything I love. You know, you can walk out into any situation. You know, I, I, I do this when I walk into a coffee shop. You can walk into a room in fear. You can walk into a room with anxiety. You can walk in, what's going to happen next, or everyone around me is unknown. Or you can walk into a room with love. You can walk in with this spirit of like, my feet are touching the ground and, and I'm walking into this room in love. And it changes the room. Try it sometime. Just, I don't, you know, I don't know if it actually changes the room, but it changes something in me. I know that, I know that much. I, I'm fascinated by your answer. And there, there was one point where you were talking about walking out on the stage in love, like you just said, it reminded me of an interview from years ago I, I heard with David Bowie, where he he was telling the interviewer that every time that he was anywhere, even if he was just in jeans and a t-shirt, it was a performance, and that there was no core behind the performance, that everything all the time was a performance. What I heard in your answer was the exact opposite. You're not trying to perform when you perform in the sense of put on a show, what I heard you saying is you're trying to be the most grounded, authentic, caring newcomer you can be in that moment. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And there is part, you know, it is a presentation. And being able to learn how to present your things, your work and your music in a way that really works for me, that connects. You know, so it, it, it is a, uh, in that sense, it is a performance, but but in the sense that how I approach it personally is to go out every time as the most authentic, grounded carry I can be. And then everything comes from there. You know, that's that's the starting point. If everything comes out of love, you know, if I walk out, and I, everything I, I, I do as a performer, as a musician, even as a person, like they're walking into a coffee shop, if love is the first step forward, then everything that follows makes more sense to me. As I was listening to one song, I was like, oh, that reminds me of Richard and Linda Thompson. Listening to another song, I, 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 I heard a strain of Farron, the, the Canadian singer-songwriter. I was surprised and delighted to, to hear an old folk song, Simple Gifts, weave its way through one of your compositions. So when I say that I hear those things in your songs, who do you listen to for inspiration? And who do you draw from for your creative well to stay full? 
I'm a very creatively restless person. I, I, I don't want to just redo the last album I did. I'm always, every, every album is, you know, what would be the most interesting way to, you know, to be true to these songs? And bringing in musicians, bringing in, you know, people to work on the project that really resonate with what these songs are uh, in interesting ways. So, so yeah, I, I keep getting drawn back in, oh, I'm always drawn back to the singing poets, but I love all kinds of music and I love that I've been able to work with such an interesting and talented group of musicians always in my career, always. And that's really changed me and encouraged me. And, and, and in terms of also um, inspiration, a lot of my inspiration comes out of poetry. You know, there's the music I listen to, but, you know, I've worked with a lot of authors and poets, and I often, you know, inspiration from songs is, is coming from, from sources like that. I have a, my degree is in visual art. Visual images are really important in my lyric writing, so there's a lot of really strong visual imagery that, that kind of gets into it, too. But this idea of you know, a lot of my songs, I have two books of poetry and essays, because a lot of my songs start with poems or start as an essay, and then the song grows out of that. So much of my inspiration will often come out of things I'm reading, you know, the the kinds of literature, the kinds of poetry, you know, the, the visual art I'm encountering. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? <laughs> well, Carrie Newcomer, it's such a delight to talk to you, and congratulations on your new album, The Point of Arrival. I've, I've enjoyed it. I know that my listeners will. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us today. Well, thank you so much. It's been a delight being on the program, and thank you for your many wonderful questions. It's been great talking to you. You as well. It's a pleasure. Thank you again. We're speaking with Emmy Award-winning singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. She's got a new album out called The Point of Arrival. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.